Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. It's a pleasure to welcome Michael Harding. And it's fair to say, Michael, that your musical choices bring us around the world, but your first choice is from close to home. I grew up in, in suburban Cavan, Cavan Town, but when I was 21 years of age, I escaped to rural Ireland. I escaped to West Cavan, and it was like, I was like, I couldn't believe how different it was and how the kind of community in a rural area is more integrated with, with each other and they don't live private lives as like little nuclear families. And I loved it. And I loved, I was 21 years of age. I fell in love like every, every three or four weeks I was in love with another woman. It was absolutely a gorgeous time. And I had an old green Ford, a Mark I Ford, and I used to turn on the ignition by tying two wires together under the steering wheel. And we'd go to dances. I'd bring young women to dances down in Ballinamore. Uh, geez, we had a great time. And to drum shambo to the Mayflower. So Glengevlin was where I uh, awakened in romantic terms and also in kind of spiritual terms because it's a mountain area. It's very beautiful. Why did you move there, Michael? Oh, I had a job. I just I went, I graduated and became a teacher and I was looking for a job with the VEC. And uh, I kind of did the interview and all that. But I was down the list so that when the CEO came to me, he said, uh, I'm afraid I've nothing to offer you, only Loch and House. Now, Loch and House was the, you know, a prison. And he was offering me a job. The VEC would pay, you know, you'd be a teacher in Loch and House. And he thought because that was in West Cavan and because I'm from Cavan Town, I might be disappointed. And I looked at him thinking, this is the best news you've ever given me. Because I, I just already, even before I got the job, I had fallen in love with Glengevlin. It was a kind of a rural mountain area, very like Donegal. It was a place where Irish language was being spoken in 1922. And when they set up an Irish college, the same as they have in the Gaeltacht in Donegal and, and Connemara, they actually set up a, an Irish language college in Glengevlin. And the inspectors for it observed that the Irish at that time in Glengevlin was very well spoken. And they also praised the dancing. They said the dancing in Glengevlin, like, you know, the, the traditional Irish dancing sure. was of a very high standard. So I came at the tail end of that in the 1970s. It was 50 years later. That, that whole culture had all but died out, I suppose, and finished off by the emigration in the 50s. But it still was an extraordinarily beautiful community of people and uh, there was a great social energy. And when you went out to socialise in the local pub, there was old fellas playing the, the melodeon or the, the accordion, there was flute players, and there was young people in the same room having fun and chatting with each other and having a drink. We'd have concerts in the hall. It was called The Hall. <laughs> and there'd be concerts in The Hall and the pub would fill up the night of the concert and everybody would drink until about 11 o'clock. So it'd be half 11 before people would go to the hall and 
instead of eight o'clock starting, you'd be waiting till about 12 o'clock to start. And one of the big stars that we always had at those concerts regularly was the great and wonderful Philomena Begley because she had a friend and a number of friends in Glengevlin and so she'd, she'd do them the favour of coming to the, the concert. But by the time she'd get on the stage, it might be two in the morning. People would stand up in the audience and shout at her with requests. Do you know what I mean? When she'd finish one song, the people, Jimmy McBarney or somebody would stand up and say, here, Philomena, sing the one about the blanket. (laughs) (laughs) We used to have great fun in Glengavlin. I worked at Lawhan House for about, at that time, for about three years. And we, I taught English. And then we had a remedial teacher. I also taught social studies as a a module. And we had a, a carpentry teacher, a woodwork teacher, and a remedial language teacher. And what we used to do was we'd have every six weeks we'd have a concert. And the whole kind of curriculum was based around the concert. So the people who were incarcerated there, they would learn how to let's say, they'd sing songs and practice their songs, and that'd be a way of learning how to read. Or they would, you know, everything was geared around the event at the concert. That's what I'm trying to say to you. The art classes, it'd be paint and sets or something like that. And then we would bring people in. Charlie McGettigan used to come into us regularly. And Eamon Daly and a few groups. They'd come in and they'd sort of be the highlights of the concert. But the main part of the concert would be the people who were prisoners doing their own thing, maybe singing or telling jokes or doing bits of sketches. And at that time, Lockin House was a very enlightened place because there was no fence around it. People weren't locked up. It was a completely open prison. And the attitude of the time in the mid-70s was to be therapeutic. So rehabilitation and therapy was the real buzzword in prison. It wasn't, a, it wasn't seen as penal. You were taking people out of... St. Patrick's in Dublin or out of Mount Joy and you were giving them a completely open, trusting environment. Uh, in the evenings, I would often put three or four of the young lads in the car and we'd go up to Glengevlin and we'd be, you know, sitting around with people, uh, you know, in their own homes mm. and then you'd leave them back in Lachan House. It, it, it was a much more positive and open attitude to the idea that you know, somebody had broken the law. They really shouldn't be in prison. Well, they're lovely. They're lovely memories of Glengavin. So let's hear then uh, what what brings you back to what were clearly happy times for you. Philomena Begley and the blanket on the ground. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One. We move far away from Cavan for your second musical choice, Michael. One of the the places I associate with a particular type of music is uh, five years that I spent in Mullingar. Having lived in rural Ireland all my life, having lived in places like West Cavan and then in uh, Leitrim, on the border of Leitrim and Roscommon in Arigna, I ended up uh, going to Mullingar for five years. And Mullingar to me was like, it was like Paris. It was like... (laughs) It was like Berlin. I mean, it was like after 10, 20 years in the country, like outside a town. I wasn't even living in a town when I was in Glengevlin. I wasn't in a town when I'm in Arigna. Mm-hmm. Lord God, when you went to Mullingar <laughs> and there was a whole lot of streets with people walking up and down and going into coffee shops, 
I thought, I, I won't be able to cope with this at all. And for some reason, uh, it kind of became... I, I began to associate it with, with Italy and with opera. Now, maybe the reason for that is that when, when I was young, I did spend a summer in Italy and I found it very romantic. I found, you know, the hot evenings and the grapes and the salads and the pastas and the bottles of wine. I found it all really conducive to a good life and a little bit of Pavarotti or Maria Callas in the background. But here's the point, that in, in Mullingar, I suffered a, a kind of a breakdown. I had a physical breakdown, and then I ended up with depression for about a year or two years. And so my last year in Mullingar, it was the winter of 2010, and it was a very, very bleak time in my life, and I was very depressed and very physically ill. And it was a terribly snowy time. There was a big snow that year. And I was living in a place called Shandona House, which was a gorgeous 19th century old farmhouse outside the town of Mullingar. And I had got a 50-inch television screen free from a relation who didn't want it. And they gave it to me. And because this was a big old house, we put it in a big drawing room. And I used to light the fire... And I got Sky Arts, which at the time was doing a lot of operas from the Met. And I fell back into this beautiful glory of opera music, being a kind of a very soothing calm to my soul and to my heart when I felt depressed. And I think it's because some of the opera music and some of the kind of classical music that you hear from people like you know, Anna Netrebko would be the famous woman at the moment who is the star of all the great operas in New York, but Maria Callas in her day was another one. And to hear these beautiful voices singing a kind of a nostalgia, it kind of, the sadness of it and the melancholy of the music in some way fitted my mood of being depressed and lonely, stuck in the, the cold snows of Mullingar. And and what is the story of the opera from which this is taken, Michael? Well, the, the the piece I chose is actually a folk song. It's an Italian folk song that was very popular, I think, in the 1920s. It's not actually from a... It may be from an opera, I'm not sure, but the particular and beautiful song that I wanted to play is one that I have a friend, and her name is Ita McCormick, and she would be a senior citizen now and she lives alone and during this isolation she to me is one of those people who's courageously living through it even though she's on her own and has to be very careful but she was a classically trained singer and she sang professionally as a young woman and when the people in Italy were dying in huge numbers a couple of weeks ago she felt a real feeling for them and she sent me a recording of herself singing, her own voice, a recording from the past, singing this beautiful song. It's not that one. I know we'll play a different one, maybe yeah. Maria Callas or somebody, but it is such a beautiful song. I think that for people who are alone, for people who are worried and anxious and melancholic in the COVID-19 outbreak, but also in general, like I was 10 years ago when I was suffering depression, sometimes this kind of music, 
because it's so sad itself, so melancholic, it kind of really touches the heart. And does it help you rise from the depression? I don't know if it does. I think I think I found it consoling when I was depressed to listen to that Italian music. I don't think it actually was instrumental in raising me out of it. I think that something happens in a different way. Mm. There's something about there's something about depression that if if you're down, in some way you have to to be down until it's time to come up. There's there's some there's some way that you think when you're depressed it will never end. And I used to always say to people when I was depressed, will this end? And people who are close to me would say, of course it will end. You know, believe that this will end, this depression. But you have to wait. It, 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 takes, it takes patience of a, an extraordinary nature to, to know that there's a dark mood inside your heart and your emotions. And yet to just say, look, it, it will go when it goes and things will turn and things will change and I will become joyful again. And of course you need the people around you to be patient as well. You do. You do. You need them if you're me. You need them, surely. They have to be patient with me all the time. Well, let's listen to Maria Callas then. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, Michael... We're going further afield for your next musical choice. I'm a person who lives in the country, in rural Ireland, and I don't really travel much. You know, there are other people who've spent years in America and years in Europe and all the rest of it. And really, at the end of my life, I'm 67 years of age. You know, I haven't travelled much from Cavan and from West Cavan and into Leithram. But every so often, even somebody like me gets a strange phone call. And I remember getting a phone call one wet November day. It was a Sunday and it was raining. And I picked up the phone and I heard an Indian voice on the other end of it. And I won't try and imitate an Indian voice, but he said, am I speaking to Michael Harding? And I said, this is he. And he said, my name is Jay Bajaz and I, I'm a film producer. And he said, I'm making a, a film about the Connacht Rangers who were a, an Irish regiment in India. And he said, I'd like a, an Irish writer to come out and, and, and write the, uh, the Irish bits in the film. Would you like to do that? And uh, I couldn't believe it. Like, I thought it was somebody winding me up. <laughs> but in, in fact, uh, he, he organised it and I got a plane out to Mumbai, out to Bollywood, and I ended up in this huge big apartment in Bollywood with wall-to-wall glass looking out on the Indian Ocean, beautiful turquoise water at night and the, the, the evening sun like a gorgeous lantern of orange falling down into it. It was absolutely... I couldn't believe. You know, it was like the monkey got into heaven. What am I doing here? And you'd meet all these beautiful and fancy people and it was an extraordinary and wonderful time. And I wrote the bits that they asked me to write for the movie. The movie was never made. Uh, it, it was never made because there was other complications. There was a few tragedies around people that were involved in it. But what happened to me was that because I was in Mumbai, I went down to a place called Mongod. It'd be on the way to Bangalore, and it's where there's a Tibetan colony and a Tibetan monastery. There's thousands of Tibetan monks down there. And I'm into that sort of stuff. So I went down and I spent some time there 
And the person in the monastery that was looking after me was a young monk, and his name was Lawang. And Lawang was a very holy and intense young man in his 20s. And he was very disciplined about his meditation and everything else. And so that was a very spiritual experience, and I enjoyed it enormously. And I went home when it was all over. But But two years later, I ended up in Mongolia. And in Mongolia, I had gone to meet a load of Tibetan monks so that we could go around different places in Mongolia looking for old monastic sites that had been knocked down during the Soviet period. And who do I run into in Mongolia but my old friend from India, Lawang, <laughs> who had since then got over from India up into Mongolia and now he was staying in Mongolia in a monastery and the two of us ended up for about seven hours a day in the back of a jeep. And uh, it's a long time in a jeep with uh, somebody who doesn't speak English too much. He didn't have great English. But what we used to do was share music. And he had a little cassette machine. And even though he was a very spiritual person and very disciplined and you'd be kind of idealising him when you met him in India, in actual fact, he just loved Hindi music. And he loved, like, all those beautiful Indian instruments, like the, the sitar and the, the drums, the tabla, all that stuff. And he would play it day in, day out. And for, I think, two and a half thousand miles, we crossed Mongolia. Uh, nine monks, uh, me and him sitting in the back of one jeep, and me and him listening for one end of the day to the other <laughs> to Hindi music and to people like Ravi Shankar and his daughter and all sorts of beautiful musicians. So I kind of associate that Indian music with the big world, the wide world that's out there beyond me that I get to see a nod time. Yeah. You remind me, I used to cover the Tour de France and to ease the tensions in the car because you're together all day, every day. Uh, Jimmy McGee, I used to play, I got a cassette tape for him in France, Les Plus Grand Moment de Country for Jimmy and we'd be going along day after day playing the same country music songs. It's a bit yeah. similar. <laughs> and, and that was the days when there was no headphones. No headphones. No. You see, nowadays, nowadays you just sit into that cheap and you don't see anybody until the next, until that evening. Yeah. But there was no headphones and you were only dealing with, with like poor little, um, those little Sony cassette recorders. And that was Lawang's pride and joy. And to me, it was also interesting because it showed that, like, he lived on the inside and the outside in the sense that when I met him in India, he was a really disciplined, spiritual kind of animal. And he'd be very strict and very clear about meditation and this, that and the other. And yet when I got to know him close enough, I realised he had a wonderful humanity about him. It's a good job you like the music. Ah, listen. (laughs) You couldn't but like music. There's no music you couldn't like. Did you contribute music for him to listen to? No, it was it was totally him. It was totally him. And and how did you end up the first time you were there when you went from Bollywood? Did you ring up and ask could you visit? The whole thing weaves into one single story for me because the reason why I first went to the place in India was because I had a link to it, and the link was uh, the a Tibetan Lama who lives in West Cavan. 
So there's a Tibetan Lama has a, a centre, a Buddhist centre in West Carvin, in Bonboy. It's, it's called Jampaling. And I had become a student of that fella. He was kind of my teacher, if I go back to 1995. Right? Yeah. So that when I was over in Bollywood doing me gig, trying to write a film, I knew that this monastery was just a couple of hours away. And it was easy for me to get a permit to go into the Tibetan colony. It was easy for me to get a link to the monastery from the Lama who lives in Cavan. So the whole world is kind of connected in ways you don't realise sometimes. Lovely. Well, they're, they're, they're fabulous memories you've shared with us and you, you, you tell the stories so well. Michael Harding, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll play out then and listen to your memories from the Tibetan monk Kaziuno. Thank you. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.